Hi guys, Pixel Advocate here. Thank you so much for checking out my show. I really hope you enjoy it. Full disclosure, much of what you're going to hear has, in fact, been recorded gradually over the last few years. So don't be surprised if you hear the odd reference that sounds a bit outdated. For example, I may mention a now defunct podcast as if it were still going. Or when I say something about modern technology, it may not be up to the minute information. However, I finally decided to share these recordings I've been accumulating. I think you'll enjoy them. And lucky for me, the core subject matter on the pre-recorded stuff will not sound conspicuously outdated because it's all retro and is therefore outdated by nature. Thanks again for tuning in. Now, on with the show. Lost off. Guys, if you're hearing this podcast, and that must mean I've decided to release it in some shape or form, I'm actually doing this preview show uh, as kind of a trial run to see whether I think I can pull off the podcast and see what goes into it. Um, it may or may not happen. I hope it does. Um, but even if not, uh, I think I'm going to have a little bit of fun doing this. Um, so I guess I'll start by talking a little bit about what the podcast will be. In general terms, it'll just be you know storytelling and opinion on random topics related to retro video gaming. Pretty simple, right? Not perhaps terribly original or unique, but I think there's always room for one more. At least for the time being, I will not be um, adhering to any strict format. I think I'm going to keep it loose for a while to see what works, what doesn't work. I definitely want to point out that I'm certainly not doing this for the fanfare. Um, This is just a hobbyist project, like any other. Um, If people end up enjoying it, that is fantastic. Um, that's just a bonus, but if not, then, oh well, um, my feelings will not be hurt. So, I'm just going to do it my way, hopefully enjoy it along the way, and, um, we will see what happens. Now, on a similar note, maybe I should talk a little bit about what the show will not be. It will not be focused much on anything after the 16-bit era, I think, most of what I'm going to focus on is from the early 90s and before that. Um, I think that's the sweet spot for retro. Um, everyone has an opinion on that matter, and maybe I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Next, I want to talk about, um, I think it's a fitting topic for the preview episode here. I'd like to give a little bit of background about me, your host. Um, what has been my journey through gaming? Um, what's my pedigree, if you will? And to do that, go back to the beginning, uh, rewind back to what I believe would be 1982 or so. Um, I've tried to deduce exactly when this was, and my best guess is 1982. I still remember this one day, um, my mother was going over to visit a friend of hers that lived a few blocks away, and she decided to take my brother and I along, um, because this particular friend had a son named Matt. And um, I guess the idea was that you know, all the kids could play together while the adults sat inside and talked boring adult things. And on the way over there, I remember my mom telling us that 
They had just picked up this toy or this thing that hooks up to the TV and, and plays games on the TV. And it was called Atari. Now, at the time, I had no idea what that was. I'd never heard of such a thing. I know, even though the system was uh, a few years old by that point, actually several years old, I guess I was too young to be paying attention to such things. I just didn't know what it was. But of course, it really caught my interest. So we get over there, and the more I'm thinking about this, the more anxious I am to see it. But, of course, Matt's mother was one of those annoying types who was like, you guys gotta go play outside, it's a nice day. And so we had to go play tag in the yard, or whatever, for probably an hour or so, before we were able to weasel our way indoors. Eventually we did, and I remember walking into the front room of this house, and sitting cross-legged on the floor in this green dingy carpet. I'm not just making this up, by the way. This is the way I actually remember it. And they had one of those big TVs that kind of sat right on the floor. Had a kind of a convex screen. And there was this black box thing in front of it on the floor. So Matt took out a few cartridges. I guess I didn't really know that they were called cartridges at the time, but that's what they were, obviously. And he put one in the system and powered it on, and there was Space Invaders. So kind of a key moment for me in my exposure to the hobby, because that would, that would be the first time I ever laid eyes on a video game. And a few minutes later would be the first time, obviously, I ever played one. Um, so Matt showed us how it worked. My brother and I each took a turn at Space Invaders. I remember thinking it was the best thing I'd ever seen up to that point in my life, hands down. We had the Atari 2600 for several years, um, accumulated a pretty decent collection, and it was big in our family, it was big in our neighborhood, got cousins that are similar age to us, and, you know, of course, a bunch of neighborhood kids, um, similar age, they were all into Atari, everyone had one, traded games, compared high scores and strategies and all that. So it was, it was a really, um, really big thing in our lives back then as it, I'm sure it was for most of you, if you're listening to this show. So, once it got to be around 86, 87, I know it sounds a little harsh, but Atari 2600 started to feel a bit cheap, and almost started becoming a bit of a joke. Um, I know that sounds bad, and I don't think that way now, but the truth is, at the time, the technology was extremely old. There were newer options available, and after playing the newer options and seeing what else was possible, you look back at Atari, it just looked primitive and cheap by comparison. But then shortly after that, we learned that Atari had a new home console. This has really got our attention. We start the campaign, you know, working on the parents. Yeah, we want a new console for Christmas. We want a new video game system. And, of course, you get the usual... But you've already got a video game system, what do you need another one for? I mean, you know, parents, they just don't get it, right? But eventually, uh, they relented and decided to, uh, they got us Atari 7800 for Christmas in 1987. What a great moment that was. So, we played the Atari 7800 like madmen at first. But we didn't know anybody else who had one. Um, that was a problem. And maybe I'll talk about that a bit more in the future, but... As time went on, you know, the months went by, the initial enthusiasm started to wane for the system. We received a few more games, um, like 
Karatika, Karatika, whatever you call it. That was one of them, a Dig Dug, Ms. Pac-Man. And aside from Karatika, which is arguably one of the worst games I've ever played in my life, those other games, it's not that they're bad, but they were old games. They were rehashed games. And they were rehashed games at a time when new games, new exciting games, were finding their way to the competing platform. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, the NES. And it got to a point where some of my friends were starting to get the NES. My cousin got one. So, you know, I'd go to my cousin's house and play Super Mario Brothers, the game that came with his system. Then I'd come home and play Pole Position 2. I'd go to my friend's house and play Mike Tyson's Punch-Out and come home and play Karatika. Maybe those aren't the most fair comparisons, but it really did underline the fact that we were dealing with the underdog and the games were just more varied, more polished, uh, more abundant, more exciting on the NES. Not only that, but everybody had the NES, or at least everybody wanted it which was a big thing back then because it gave you people to trade games with. And, um, you know, and also there's, of course, the aspect when you're that age where you want the cool things, right? And the NES was cool. That's only a small part of it, but it is part of it. So my brother and I decided, okay, we got to talk mom and dad into buying us this thing. But we knew there was going to be an uphill battle because, you know, they just bought us a 7800 a few months prior. Actually, it was a little over a year. But somehow we talked them into it. And for my birthday um, in the late 80s there, I think it was 1989, I'm not 100% sure, got the NES action set. Came with the Super Mario Duck Hunt cartridge, obviously, and the gray version of the zapper. Not that hideous orange thing. You know, as a side note, I think seem to remember reading somewhere that the reason they went to that orange thing was because they wanted to make it absolutely clear that the zapper was a toy. So I'm going to go take my gray zapper and I'm going to mug somebody or hold up a bank. Ah, anyway, I digress. So we got the system and a cartridge with it, an additional one, Operation Wolf, which is kind of a cool one to get because it supported the zapper. And I thought that was really neat at the time, although in retrospect, I think Operation Wolf on NES with the Zapper kind of sucks. Um, and I think as I played the game more and more, I started using the D-pad, which was more fun. Anyway, had the NES for several years, played lots of different games. Like I mentioned earlier, Mike Tyson Punch-Out was a favorite, RC Pro-Am. I'll get into that in more detail uh, at a future time. But it wasn't long after having the NES that we started hearing about this new 16-bit Sega Genesis. There was one guy at school who who got one basically right when it came out, and he was like, everybody envied him. I'd hear things about it, I'd see pictures, I'd see it in magazines and everything, and like, of course, like any kid who's uh, into a hobby like, like video games and they see the, the new thing, they kind of salivate over it. So now my brother and I are in the mode, we got to get the Genesis, because... Another thing driving that was we were spending a lot more time in arcades around that time because 
we were getting to the age where we could more independently, you know, go ride our bikes out without parental supervision or chaperoning and all that. And at those arcades that we were frequenting at the time, the games that were popular or that were filling the places were, you know, the Altered Beasts and the Golden Axes and things of that sort, which, you know, lined up really well with, you know, the Sega Genesis. So the idea of being able to play very good facsimiles of those games at home was just too cool for us to even imagine. So um, we knew that we'd have a hard time convincing the parental units to fork out cash for yet another console, so we didn't even bother asking. We had each some money I think we'd accumulated through delivering papers and mowing lawns and, and things of that sort, so we decided, let's pool our money together and um, we'll go buy a Sega Genesis ourselves, and that's what we did. We went out and got it, brought it home, and played the heck out of Altered Beast. Yeah, that was, that was fantastic. Um, all the neighborhood kids were you know, extremely jealous of us. Um, and, you know, they'd come over in droves to uh, to play this thing. And what was cool around the time for us was that they, this store popped up, uh, this mom and pop shop. It wasn't like a chain, like Blockbuster. It was like this, I think a guy slightly older had some money, wanted to start a business. We started a game store and it kind of focused on selling and renting console games and consoles. And, and you know various video game items which was extremely handy for us because obviously it enabled us to sample a wider variety of games at little cost and without committing you know 60 70 80 dollars of our um, newspaper money to buying a single game the genesis didn't last all that long for me though because it was around that time when and i think a lot of us guys and girls and in this hobby that we call retro gaming kind of went through this phase at some point where you just kind of lose interest in video games in general and move on to other things. In my case, it was, you know, I grew my hair long. I started playing guitars and bands, you know, and then of course there's girls and all that stuff. I remember developing kind of the attitude that, oh, video games just aren't cool. You know, I'm too cool for that now. I'm going to go party. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it's just a phase, you know, I was probably, you know, 14, 15 years old. And so I kind of lost touch with gaming for a while. Um, and it wasn't until in 1996 I started university um, in engineering. And then in 97, I was fortunate enough to land a internship at a local company. And it was paid, a paid internship. And tell you what, boy, I was, when you make $18 an hour at that age, when you're used to making eight, nine, ten dollars an hour decorating hamburgers if you're lucky. It's like you don't even know what to do with the money. Um so I started getting these paychecks and I'm like just my eyes were popping out. I mean it was granted it was just like a summer job. It was only for a few months, but you know, with no big responsibilities, no mortgages or anything to pay, you know, you can rack up a nice bank balance in a big hurry. So I was looking for something to spend money on. And just on a whim one day I decided I heard Sony has a video game console. I think maybe I'll just go buy one of those. I haven't played video games in a while. And so I went out and bought a PlayStation 1. In retrospect, that seems really weird that I, I completely distanced myself from gaming and just forget about it, essentially, and then just one day go dump a few hundred bucks in a system. But that's what I did, and actually ended up liking it a lot. That era is probably a little bit out of the scope of the show, but I thought I'll just quickly touch on how all that played out for me. 
um, I, I played that system quite a bit. Um, moved in in my second year of university with a bunch of roommates in a uh, rental property uh, near campus. Had that thing hooked up to the TV in the front room, and we spent hours playing that thing, you know, staying up late, drinking beer, uh, cutting class sometimes, playing, you know, Rally Cross, Tekken 2, Twisted Metal 2, we're all favorites. And I played that thing until it pretty much stopped working, or at least it stopped working reliably. Um, it basically quit reading discs um, and did so only when it felt like it. But at that time, when that started happening, I was living at a different rep rental property with a different set of roommates, and one of those roommates um, picked up a PlayStation 2, which was brand new at the time. And since that was hooked up to the main TV... Uh, my PlayStation was just collecting dust anyway, so I think I sold everything I had, the console, the controllers, the stack of games for, I don't know, a six-pack of beer. Basically gave it away. But I didn't need it, so no big loss. But um, eventually that roommate with the PS2 moved out, and I just turned around and bought my own. And I still have that console to this day, but I tell you what, that I think that uh, PlayStation 2 goes down for me as one of the biggest wastes of money. Um, not because it's a bad console, but because I never played it. I mean, it collected dust for years on end. I did play it for a short span of time, fairly heavily, um, playing the Star Wars Battlefront video games, which were a lot of fun, but that kind of game nowadays, I you know, it doesn't really interest me very much. Um, the Those very, you know, uh, what do they call it? Um, Deathmatch type games, the first person shooters that are very addictive and they're time vampires. I just, you know, I've, I got no use for that that type of thing at this point in my life. Um, and I'll probably elaborate a bit on that uh, more at a later time, but suffice it to say that the PlayStation 2 um, collected a lot of dust in its day. And at some point along the way, I said to myself, yeah, this is, this is probably the last video game console I'm ever going to buy. Until a new one comes out, of course, um, which is what ended up happening. I, my friend uh, got a PlayStation 3, and when I saw that, I thought it was kind of neat how it did other things, like it was able to stream videos and go on the internet, and so I thought, well, maybe I should pick one of these up, because it, you know, it, it's more than just a game system, so I'll use it somehow, and, you know, that was kind of, kind of a prophecy of sorts, because that's really what it ended up being, um... I picked one up used, and the vast majority of the time I've spent using it has been for everything other than gaming, playing movies, streaming stuff, Netflix, that sort of thing. My friend did lend me a few uh, big uh, AAA titles like Uncharted 2 and Fallout, something or other, and, you know, those games are impressive, they look nice and all that, but they're kind of technical marvels, but I just don't understand the allure, like I just don't enjoy them. Uh, I found myself getting like 80% of the way through the games and just, I'd finish a mission saying to myself, oh, please be the end of the game, please be the end of the game, and then a whole new mission would start, and I'm like, ugh. And then, then I started thinking, okay, this is ridiculous. If I'm not enjoying the game, why am I playing it? I mean, who cares if I'm leaving unfinished? Just quit. <laughs> That's what I did. So I ejected those discs, gave them back to my friend, said thanks, but sorry, this just isn't for me. I did play... Some of the uh, cool arcade-style downloadable titles on the PlayStation 3. Um, I always point to um, Pac-Man Championship Edition DX 
and Super Stardust HD as uh, glowing examples of modern gaming with a retro flair that's just right up my alley. Um, and kind of paradoxically, I think it was right around then that playing those games in, in direct contrast to the, you know, the Uncharted style games made me realize what characteristics I like in a video game. And that kind of led directly to my foray into retro gaming. And I'm not going to talk about that on the, this preview episode, but kind of strange that the, uh, the you know, playing PlayStation 3 kind of pushed me into uh, playing Atari. <laughs> but that's really the way it happened. Circling back a bit, uh, one thing I haven't touched on is the handheld games. Right around the time of the that I had the NES that I mentioned earlier, I also picked up a Game Boy. A friend I uh, shared a desk with at school brought one in after Christmas, uh, shortly after it was released. And I, again, it was one of those things I'd never heard of. I saw it and like, wow, is that ever cool? So a few months after that, of course, I had to have one. I uh, found a neighborhood kid who was selling one. So I bought a scratched up Game Boy and a small stack of games for, I think it was $80. Again, of my own money. You know, the Game Boy is a great little system. Uh, the screen kind of stinks, but I had a lot of fun playing that. I remember going on uh, field trips for school, and other kids in the bus would have their Game Boys out, and we'd get the link cable going and, you know, play some head-to-head Tetris and head-to-head um, motocross maniacs. Fantastic. And as things go, a little bit after I got the Game Boy, um... I learned of the Atari Lynx, and I realized they were kind of released at a, you know, about the same time, but again, another uh, example of me just having no way of knowing about these things until sometime later. Maybe that's, you know, an indictment of Atari's marketing at the time. I don't know. But I remember what really got me looked at the Lynx was uh, the magazine Electronic Gaming Monthly had this feature on the system. Right around the time where they released the Lynx 2, uh, the kind of revised model. And so they had it right up on the system and like a bunch of screenshots and little blurbs on all the different games that were available. And I just thought that thing looked amazing. I'm like, I gotta get one of these. Again, somehow I managed to talk my parents into getting me one for my birthday. I got the original Lynx model, that, that long one that's like, I think I had to turn it sideways to get it into my house. Because the first time I tried, I dinged the door frame. The thing is so wide. But picked up the system with Blue Lightning. And a little while later, I went and bought myself Klax. Um, those are both great games. But like the uh, Atari 7800 before it, I think over time, the, the links kind of ran out of steam for me. And I'll explain why uh, at a future time. But I think... In retrospect, the Game Boy, I had more fun with that. Again, probably because of the library and whatnot. Well, guys, that wraps up the introduction episode. In the next episode, among other topics, I'll be touching on how and why I entered the retro gaming hobby. May we all appreciate what we have today, and in our fleeting spare moments, may we fondly reflect upon our pixel-perfect past. Bye for now. (laughs) 